0: Listening to the New Century Multiverse, The Princess Thieves. Chapter 25, The March West Viola was weakened to the point of death, and Oberon rushed in to catch her. He searched her face and brushed pink hair aside with his enormous green fingers, feeling for a heartbeat and a breath with his thumb. Her eyes flickered open, and she could not speak, but gripped the dark green leather of his coat. No, don't you go. He reached into his knapsack and retrieved a crumpled bag of cinder toffee he had purchased during his wanderings around London the day before. Gingerly, he knelt and supported her as the battle still raged around them, breaking off a small piece of the honeycomb and placing it to her lips. She sniffed and bit into it, crunching down the confectionery with tiny, laboured movements. She swallowed with difficulty and was able to eat a little more. As Oberon looked around frantically for a safe spot, Viola's eyes eventually opened and she smiled faintly. But as sensibility returned and her memories of cruelty to him over the past few days trickled back, she could no longer meet his eye. It's okay. It's okay. Oberon was gearing up to say something forgiving, feeling a tiny glow of pride that he had retained the toffee for just such a scenario. But that pride was offset by a great relief, and she was alive. At this exact point, several hundred yards away, they saw the Dregusha's path towards the exit being barred by pike-wielding watchmen. These heavies jabbed at Ajax, who turned Lavinia away from them, shielding her with his back and bellowing in pain as the points stabbed into his flesh. Oberon roared in dismay, and still cradling Viola, he pulled himself to his feet and charged across the battlefield, readying his club with his free right hand. Gwen, Mortimer, Nightwind, Merlaine, and I joined them as they went. As one, we tore into the spearmen, splintering their weaponry and laying waste to their bodies in a hail of blows, bullets, fire and spells. Our movements were chaotic, but there was some semblance of coordination. Finally, an irregular pattern of erratic turnabouts and ferocious retribution. Myself and Mortimer dodged and weaved around, confounding the heavies and targeting their vulnerable areas, aided by Viola and protected by Merlane. Gwen and Oberon flattened and broke the men, bodily flinging them far out over the quayside and into the Thames, clearing the pathway so that everybody could escape the tower.
1: It should go without saying, but I'll say it anyway. At the very least, two of them were hideously gored to death with my golden armor-piercing horn. Since Boltus had entered his eternal sleep, and with the last of the watchmen at the gate now thoroughly gone or dead or surrendered, the battleground began to clear, and the thieves regarded one another. The weight of this effort threatening to overcome their exhausted frames. Oberyn broke first, and, still holding Viola, he rushed to Ajax, who was sitting on the ground, his eyes screwed shut, clutching at the wounds on his back. Easy, big guy. You did real good. The family are all alive. Hurt. I know, buddy. We're gonna help you.
0: Hurt. Over.
1: Yeah. It's me. Scarlet had been ushering people out of the front gate, but on seeing the wounded Ajax, she stepped over and knelt beside him.
0: Go easy. Hold your hand there, Oberon. Ajax, can you roll over this way, please, and hold your hand here. I need to attend to this now. No! I need bandages, alcohol, and needle and thread. I'll find them. My fingers are shaking. I can't hold a Dwark needle. You! Me? Yes, you're going to be my hands. Here. I'm a professional findsman and an assassin. I can bloody well see to an injury. Brilliant, you're hired. Wait. No, there's no time to waste searching for a shred of moral decency. We need you now. There's people of different species, minutes from being past the point we can help them. Now shut your face and get stitching.
1: Together they set about tending to the hurt Arca, Scarlet cleaning him up and soothing his fears with a professional air as Mortimer, grumbling quietly, closed up the wound. After he was stable, the pair, now joined by the few present with the appropriate medical skills, moved on to others who could be saved. Gwendolyn surveyed the ground, littered with bodies. Dwart, human, Arca. Their still frames armored, decorated, clothed in trousers and coats, clad only in rags. They had been beaten, or burned, or stabbed, or choked, or crushed. None of these differences seemed to matter now. The main contrast that hit her hard was between the living and the dead and those injured and hovering on the cusp. This cannot be for me. What? I will not have this be the way of things. If you choose to oppose your father, people are going to die, no matter what. Well then, I shall have to find a way to minimize this. Then I shall do what I can to help you. Melaine the sword, does it mean... I mean, I didn't even really think about it too much. I was so intent on saving Robin, but am I Queen of Britannica now? No. Oh. Oh dear. Strange women living in ruins, distributing swords, is no basis for a system of government. That's what I thought. What I was guarding was the literal power it would bestow. That's why I placed such a complicated enchantment on it. Arthur was already the heir of a king. You, sadly, are not.
0: What am I, then? You tell me. Right. I shall.
1: Not far from where they stood, Robin found Mortimer and handed her some more needle and thread. So
0: I've been told you didn't betray us? Impossible to talk now, holding this fellow's spleen in my hand. Would you like some help? Well, oh, Fiercely.
1: So they set about saving a few more lives as the ravens circled the ramparts, their eyes on the unfortunate dead who would become their next few meals. Oberon sat between his brother and Viola, who had propped herself against the wall with the bag of cinder toffee in hand. She offered it to Oberon and Ajax, and they quietly crunched upon its contents, feeling a glimmer of comfort in their strength returning. Viola spied Gwen marching out before the crowd that had assembled in front of the tower, made up of survivors from the brawl and newly arrived Londoners who had filed in from Lower Thames Street to see what the commotion was. I flew down to walk beside the princess.
0: I'm going to Westminster Abbey. Who else fancies a walk through London?
1: About 400 hands went up. They marched the three miles west down the bank of the Thames. The journey took an hour, and over that time they accumulated more and more locals to their cause. The streets had already been packed with those on their way to the wedding, hoping for a glimpse of Gwendolyn and the newly entitled Prince Aaron. No watchman attempted to stop them as their numbers had become daunting. Gwen was spurred on by this, and part of her began to believe that a great change was beginning here. Maybe she could save London from tyranny without being queen at all. Officials had been spotted hurrying ahead, and by the time they reached the wedding itself, the Archduke would be waiting. She sat astride me, and I took our place at the tip of the spear, making for a breathtaking figurehead. The air of that morning was crisp and invigorating, and she drew as much strength as possible from this brief moment of purposeful respite. To her right walked Robin and Oberon, who was carrying Viola. Next to them limped Ajax, holding his bandaged side. Scarlet, with Lavinia now perched on her own shoulder, walked by the Dragushes at the front of the line. To her left was Merlane, radiating an air of silent, sober determination, which had proved infectious throughout the group. The scattered Dwot and a few of the Arca among them were whispering about the possibility that this could indeed be the great wizard from out of their distant past. The sword was here, and the princess was showing many traits of the fabled powers of Arthur. What did this all mean? It was rich and fascinating information to deliberate, and very conducive to hush chatter. Beside Molen strode Mortimer, rifle slung over her shoulder. Once again, refusing to look at Gwendolen, who was now not sure how to feel about this woman. Twice she had lent her aid entirely voluntarily and without promise of coin, behaviour most unbecoming of a mercenary. The second time had saved Gwen's life, along with many around them, but the princess could not shake that mistrust. She was so rude and aloof and selfish and shallow and lonely. But then so was the nag. And yet, here they were, walking with her and straight into the heart of danger. Gwen could not kid herself that what followed would be anything less than a standoff that would affect millions of lives, very possibly in the dire negative. She would have to choose her words so carefully and be so sure of where she stood. Now the real fear set in and she resorted to a hard-practiced, serene face, so that barely a hint of what was tumbling about beneath the surface would show. She looked across at Oberyn in Viola, and saw the archer glance down into her friend's face, studying it with concern. Viola had settled into his arms and entwined the leather strap from his knapsack around her bare forearm to steady herself. Gwen felt a little jolt of wordless excitement at this unusual intimacy. They turned right at the clock tower, beside Westminster Bridge, moved down the Queen's Walk, and came up against the crowd that had already gathered round the abbey, proceeding, as those assembled parted before them, onto Broad Sanctuary at the end of Victoria Street. It was around twenty minutes after Nine Bells. Gwen had heard Big Ben chiming a while back as they travelled. At this point, had things gone differently, in another timeline, she would now be emerging into the sunlight with Aaron by her side, unhappily married. At this exact moment, Princess Gwendolyn emerged from the doors of Westminster Abbey, Aaron by her side, her face a picture of composure, radiating happiness. The two Gwens locked eyes, and Simon's heart leapt, ever so slightly smudging his glamour, which Viola had been holding the whole time. Both had performed their roles magnificently, even as Viola slumped down near dead back at the tower, even as Simon said, I, I do. do. Prince Aaron looked at Gwen astride a black winged unicorn with what appeared to be half of London at her back. He glanced at the Gwendolyn by his side and bellowed, "What, what is, is the, the meaning, meaning of
0: this?" this? You have been listening to The Princess Thieves. Princess Gwendolyn performed by Theo Lee. Viola performed by Loretta Sailor. Robin and Archduke Coriolanus performed by Alexander Shaw. Lord Aaron performed by James Bachelor. Simon performed by Paul Davies. Nightwind performed by Spencer Lieb Ajax performed by Alistair Stewart. Mortimer and Scarlet performed by Sharon Shaw. Oberon performed by Matt Wardle. Merlane, performed by Maureen Foley. The Princess Thieves theme was Arrival by I Sazanov of Shockwave Sound. Ancient Heroes performed by Kleinos. Canon in D major, composed by Pachelbel. Here arranged by Kevin MacLeod, who also composed Past the Edge, Frozen Star, Lost Frontier, and Angevin. Many soundscapes provided by tabletop audio and ASMR rooms. The New Century Multiverse is funded by Patreon, and our $15 sponsors get credit every episode, so thank you to Aaron LeClusay, Abel Savard, Alex Brewington, Angus Lee, Benjamin Hoffer, Brian Novak, Cassandra Newman, Chris Finnick, Christopher Wolf, Kieran Dashler, Connor Kennedy, Dan Mayer, Daniel Salguero, Dan Hepner, Dave Hickman, David Sheely, Finbar Nicole Frankie Punsy, Greg Downing Jameis Enright Jesse Ferguson Joe Crow Joel Robinson Johan Clayson Joe G Josh Waster Kat Esman, Kevin Vahey Lorraine Chisholm Matthew A. Siebert Michael Hasco, Robbie Crow Sarah Montgomery Tima helaz Tim Rosensky Timothy Green, Toby Jungius, Tom Painter, Trey Contreras, and Valencia Burns.